G'day guys, welcome to the Noob Sparrow Podcast. I'm Shrek and I'll shortly be joined by a Turbo for this interview with Anthony Harfocker. He is a keen Kiwi Sparrow and today we discuss underwater rugby and some of the other different types of underwater training that you can do to improve your spearfishing fitness. And we get right into some of uh, the areas of Anthony's experience over the years, helping with uh, the likes of the underwater um underwater club there at the Auckland University playing underwater hockey and underwater rugby and uh, and his significant spearfishing experience there in New Zealand. Um, if you've tuned in today, no doubt you want to get better at your spearfishing. You are in exactly the right place. Before we crack on into this interview, just wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes at the moment. Turbo and I are working our fingers to the bone, preparing for the launch of our big kickstart, Kickstarter campaign. Now, uh, Kickstarter is a crowdfunding campaign and what, what they try and do is help communities raise money for a creative project. Now our creative project is 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing. Uh, the book's been available for a while on Amazon and we've had some cracker reviews up there but I will say the book um, has been fully re-edited and reformatted with photos from some of the world's best um, underwater photographers and our own community. And uh, the, the amount of photography that's gone into this book is just phenomenal. And I really just want to thank everyone for getting involved with us. And um, so like I said, the book's available now on Amazon as an ebook version, but there's no pictures. And what we've done is we've reformatted it with the help of Sky Bailey from Spe Spearing Magazine over there in the United States. And she's phenomenal. She's put this thing together and it just looks absolutely magic but we learned that there's quite a significant cost in doing a printing run so what we're doing is we're running a kickstarter crowdfunding campaign in order to raise a fair bit of money give our community some benefits that they wouldn't otherwise be able to receive and get some get, get some get some books before anyone else and uh so there's some really wicked uh pledge levels we're going to talk about the campaign in the in the upcoming weeks it's due to launch on march the 10th but anyway before then a couple of shout outs we've had some more reviews on amazon for the book um one reviewer said this book was a good primer on beginner and advanced techniques i'm glad they put it together and i gleaned some valuable insight worth the buy and a good quick read uh second interview a second review said good tips worth the money i can recommend this book to everyone interested in spearfishing lots of good tips on how to improve your safety and performance so thanks for that a uh, quick announcement we've got the 2018 australian blue water freediving classic coming up now this thing is a cracker event. They've got a host of wicked sponsors and prizes. Registration uh, is Friday the 16th of March at the Wulgulga RSL. And the competition, the competition date is all day Saturday on the 17th of March and Sunday the 18th of March. Uh, the entry fee is only 70 bucks, and there's a host of wicked uh, sponsors. Check it out. Uh, Coffs Harbour Blue Water Freedivers are organising the event. So that, again, that's the 2018 Australian Blue Water Freediving Classic. Go online and look that up to learn a bit more. Also, a quick shout out to Dave Clunning. He wrote in and said, "Cheers, boys. Loving the podcast. I only started spearfishing over the last couple of months, and I reckon these podcasts have helped me improve and become more confident in the water." Cheers for that, David. Wicked message, mate. Uh, Skeeter Trujillo. Uh, Turbo had a shout out for him last time. Just thought I'd say he he really wants to hear from Josh Humbert, and we've been chatting chats with uh, Josh he's going to join us at some stage early this year so really looking forward to that interview with him and uh, and yeah without too much further information I really want to crack on into today's interview with Anthony Harfocker talk a little bit about underwater rugby and underwater hockey and you might get a few ideas about things you can apply in your own spearfishing life thanks for tuning in today guys let's get into this interview and I'll chuck it over to perhaps myself 
and Turbo. Today's new Spiro podcast is brought to you by Audible. Now you can go to audibletrial.com forward slash noobspiro to get your hands on a free audiobook. And if you are not yet sick of listening to Turbo and I, you can get 99 tips to get better at spearfishing. It's available now on audible.com. If you use the trial code, you are directly supporting the Noob Spiro podcast. Now, a couple of other audiobooks I like just quickly are Michael Matthews' Bigger, Faster, Stronger. It's a complete workout and nutrition plan. I already like this. I've recently changed the way I do weights and uh, I'm having a world of success with it. I'm really enjoying it. Also, I like Deep by James Nestor. He was a recent guest on the Noob Spiro podcast and his book is Freediving, Renegade Science and What the Ocean Tells Us About Ourself. It's, uh, it's got an amazing journey through the world's oceans, different research going on in different parts of the world and a real eye-opener for anyone who loves the water. So go to audibletrial.com forward slash Noob Sparrow and directly support the Noob Sparrow podcast. Thank you. Welcome to the show today, Anthony. It's great to have you with us all the way from awesome old New Zealand. I love having Kiwi guests on the show. Turbo loves it too. So welcome to the Noob Sparrow podcast. Mm. Hey guys, thanks for having me. This is, yeah, it's going to be a bit of fun today, I think. What, what do you mean, hmm, Turbo? Come on, you love Kiwis. <laughs> love, love them, mate. No, no, seriously, we do. Yeah, good. All right. Well, I, just, uh, I just love how you get real, really patriotic before we ever get a uh, Kiwi on. It's like, yeah. during the week, nothing's going on. No, no, mate, I've been here for how many years? I'm an Aussie now. And then as soon as we get a Kiwi on the show, it's all like, oh, yeah, cheer, my bro. And like you just go full Kiwi. And I don't know where it comes from. Just like, oh, I can't keep up. I'm Chinese anyway. now, so it's all right. So, um, <laughs> now nah, it's awesome to um, have you with us, Anthony. So, tell us a little bit about um, where you got started and sort of what interests you, particularly with spearfishing. Yeah, okay. I guess um, I've been spearfishing in a more focused manner for probably since about 2008, 2009. But over the years, I've had my, my whole recreational life has, has revolved around the sea and mucking around in small boats and scuba diving and things like that from the age of probably five or six, hitting 50 now, so it's been a few years. Oh, well, you're in good nick, mate, after all this free diving and carrying on. And we're going to dig in a little bit in this episode into some of that. I mean, you've had a, a bit of a, a background there with underwater hockey and free diving and all sorts of things, so it'll be interesting to talk a bit about your journey. If you can take us back all the way to the start, when did you first get in and have a go at spearfishing? Um, well, I guess when I was probably 10 or 11, I um, borrowed my older brother's spear gun and sort of swam around a little bit with no fins, just a mask and snorkel, um, chasing whatever reef fish I could um, could get close to. Didn't taste particularly good, but we got a couple. So yeah, And then had a bit of a break from that and went off into the scuba diving world for quite a few years. Okay. Did you, did you go through the PADI or the SSI system? Uh, I, well, I did CMAS, uh, okay. one star. Yeah. The intro yep. stuff, and then um, Paddy Advanced and Paddy Rescue. After that, so a bit of both. Okay, yeah. The the, the, ki- the Kiwi um, scuba diving marketing is very effective. I was a victim of it as well. Um, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> in saying that, though, it did lead to um, you know free diving and all the rest of it. We used kind of the same. Did you did you want to return to the simplicity of free diving after a while scuba diving? Yeah, that was pretty much it for me. Like I um, was. Played underwater hockey for years from university and then, um, yeah, sort of got away from scuba diving for a little bit and then thought, actually, yeah, I'll jump in the water without all the kit 
and see how I get on. And so nine or ten years ago, you sort of said you, you've got back into spearfishing. What what were some of the obstacles you encountered? Encountered at um, I guess you were forty or so then. And uh, what 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 was that like? Um, how how uh, how much skills did you did you have? Um, sort of starting out again. Well, I guess I was pretty comfortable in the water with a mask and snorkel and fins on because I was playing underwater hockey. Um, mm. You know, so that gives you a really good base and a pretty high co2 tolerance effectively you know so you know and i was when i when i got back in the water i was already hitting 20 meters depth wise if i wanted to and that sort of thing so yeah. physically it wasn't a challenge um well that those depths weren't a challenge but hunting techniques and um, figuring out where to go and the right conditions and things was you know, a bit of a learning curve okay so where are you based in new zealand uh, Auckland, yeah. So most of my diving's around um, the east coast of the Coromandel, the east coast of sort of far north of the North Island, and the Hauraki Gulf. Okay, so you're targeting kingfish and snapper and some of the other awesome kiwi species over there. Um, yeah. What? How, how did you learn some hunting techniques and how did you start learning about conditions and things like that? Did you get some good buddies? Yeah, yeah. It's like um, it's interesting actually because when I got into spearfishing again. Um, was almost by accident because there was a guy that I was working with. Um, he he um, decided that he wanted to go down to Ocean Hunter, which was a spearfishing shop just down the road, which I've spent a lot of money at over the years. It's a good guys there. Yeah. <laughs> and we, um, what well, he wanted to go down and buy himself a new wetsuit. Um, I went down with him. He came away with nothing, and I came away with a um, gun, float, and line. <laughs> <laughs> so then I was like, right, I've got this. I better get out and use it. Ah, <laughs> oh, nice. I spoke to Mike Mike from Ocean Hunter briefly. Uh, he seems like a, a top bloke. So with this new equipment, you found equipment and a, and a guy that didn't buy any gear, what did you end up doing? Yeah, well, I guess I had a boat, um, not a not a hardcore Spiro boat, more a, I guess my wife's into water skiing and things like that. So we had a compromised boat already you know, for the, the suited, suited getting out and fishing a bit and also towing skiers around. And so... Through the underwater hockey side of things, I already knew a few guys that were into spearfishing, so we started to go out together, chase a few fish. Um, yeah. I learned a bit from them about you know where to go and um, you know things like hunting kingfish, what you look for in terms of terrain and things like that. And also hooked up with a um, a club called the Axman Spearfishing Club. Okay. Yeah, and there's some some pretty um, good relaxed guys in there, and uh, yeah. They, Went out on a trip with on, on a few trips with those guys, and that was a I learned a lot from them, um, particularly from the likes of uh, Matt Crockett and Donovan Gibbs yeah. and the X Men. Yeah, yeah, okay. they're still going strong. All right, cool. And since you got back into spearfishing, I mean, what's a memorable fish for you? What's uh, what's what's really made you uh, proud, or what have you really enjoyed? A recent catch, maybe. Um, well, I guess the. Memorable fish for me have been, there's been a few firsts, like, you know, so you get your first snapper, your first kingy, um, even your first butterfish and that sort of thing, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But a memorable fish for me at the moment would have been um, a little while ago, went out um, actually with some of the Axemen guys out to the Hen and Chicks, and we had a guy on board who hadn't shot a kingfish before, so the plan was I'd show him what to do. <laughs> you know, we're going to go and find this pin, I'll dive down, shoot a fish, um, and leave it circling below us so it'll hold the school there and bring him up a little bit shallower so he'd have a, have a decent shot at getting himself a kingfish. And yeah. off we went to do that. So, yeah, I jumped in the water and powered over towards where the pin was. It was you know, actually not on the charts, but um, I knew roughly where it was and found the thing, and he was trailing along behind me. But then the school of kingfish came past him, and he got distracted by them. 
And of course, I dived down next to the pin and was hanging around about probably 16, 17 metres watching the school of kingfish pour past. And then there was one that I started to line up that, oh, yeah, that'll be, you know, just a maybe sort of 90, 100 centimetre job, just you know, nice for the, for, the, for the table. And then yeah. I thought, hang on, there's another one coming up behind it that was about the same size, if not slightly bigger. So I started lining up the one behind it and, um, yeah, pulled the trigger and managed to skewer both of them. Oh, yeah, really? Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I hadn't really thought about the aftermath when I was lining <laughs> them up, thinking, right, how am I going to get control of these guys and icky them? <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. One king is enough trouble without having two of them. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that, then it was back to the surface with the two kingfish spinning around below me and um, coming up to the surface and calling out to Bruno, going, hey, come over and, um, you know, the fish are down here. They'll, they'll, they'll hang around for a bit. But meanwhile, he'd dive, done a dive himself and shot his own kingfish, so he was a bit occupied. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, that's that's pandemonium. You get you get three or four kingies on at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guys in the boat were like, okay, go over and help Bruno. You know, he, he hasn't got a kingfish before. You need to show him how to icky it and things like that, you know, get control yeah. of it and icky it. <laughs> and I was calling it, no, I've got two. <laughs> <I'm> not, <laughs> I can't really help Bruno just yet. <laughs> oh. Anthony, um, you spoke earlier, um, you said that you not only been chasing king, kingfish but uh, also snapper. That seems to be the the top fish that everyone over in New Zealand wants to chase. Everybody wants to land a good snapper. Uh, yeah. They seem like an incredibly difficult fish in our part of the world to shoot. Um, you've, you've got to really know your stuff. How long did it uh, take you from when you started spearfishing to the point where you actually shot your first snapper and then could replicate that and shoot snapper regularly? Probably a year and a half or so, I'd say, of yep. um, that I was diving a lot. Yeah, you know? so yep. it really—it's not so much a duration to how long you get to being able to get snapper regularly, but actually time in the water. Um, and there's a couple of other mates of mine who've who spend a huge amount of time in the water, and their snapper hunting ability is has way surpassed mine by a long shot. You know, I'm, I guess I've done a lot of things averagely, and because of the time I can put into it, and with spearfishing, it's the same. The more time you have in the water, the more you'll get to know, you know, your, you'll, you'll learn your own techniques. You can read up stuff and then think, right, I can apply those and learn how to apply them yourself. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, so you still, how often are you getting out at the moment? Probably on average, maybe once a month at the moment. So not not a huge amount, really. Um, I have had a bit of a break with work pressures and stuff getting in the way, which is it's actually, to be honest, my main challenge is... Um, time time away from family and work to be able to jump in the water mm, cool all right and we've talked we're, we're going to talk a little bit in your veterans fold about underwater hockey underwater rugby and some of the benefits of co2 training and we can go into a little bit more about sort of your past with that but uh next next part of the show is hunting technique now turbo did mention snapper um would, would you like to lay out a good sort of hunting technique for guys that are maybe just starting to think seriously about targeting snapper how would you sort of what what's your process for teaching guys how to get onto snapper um well the first thing is from my perspective is looking for um fishy spots you know if there's where there's fish there's more fish yeah and um you you get to think right you know quite often i'll if you if i start to see um a few silver drummer around and things like that. To me, that's starting to indicate that it's a slight it is likely to be snapper around, and with the added bonus that silver drummer make a great um, fish burly for snapper. So you go okay. and shoot one and shoot one and tie it, tie it round, and then um, find a find a good ledge to burly off or a gut or something you can burly in that you can um, sneak up to later. 
Okay. And yeah, yeah. So you know, snooping snapper without burly is hard, but mm. um, I'd, I'd say to people when they're starting to target snapper that they they should have a crack at burlying, uh, particularly in the slightly cooler months with um, a fish burly of some sort. Silver drum is great. Lots of kinner and that sort of thing. Yep, yep. Okay, cool. That's a nice kind of easy one. Um, just maybe for guys to get their first sort of runs on the board. Yep, mm. yep. Yeah, and if you're seeing small snapper, then chances are there are bigger snapper around that you're spooking. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah. if you, you get your uh, your burly line going, or you get your your burly sort of drifting off to the bottom, are you are you dropping straight on the snapper? Are you going down holding bottom time and waiting for them? What's you got two one up yeah. one down? How does it work? Well, well, for me, it's more about like I'll find a good burly spot and might um, take the fish and basically flay the fish and spread a bit around but then leave the fish frame with a big rock on its head or something so it's not going to move too far in a gut and swim away for 15 minutes and um but when i when i'm coming back think about my approach so you might think right the the gut where i've dropped the burley is um is you know is a little way away so you dive well before that and swim along quietly along the bottom so you can peer over the ledge into the gut okay so it's all about stealth Mm. Is there a time of day this works, or are you just any time of day? It doesn't really matter. Uh, usually, for me, it's it seems to work better when there's a little bit of current, because um, current current generally brings fish. When there's when there's not much current around, then the fish tend to um, tend to die off a little bit. As from my my experience, now others might disagree with that, but that's that's how I operate. Is if there's a little bit of current and it's a little bit fishy, then your chances are your burly will work. Some some guys say that I've heard them say it. No run, no fun. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and maybe that is true even with snapper. Okay, yeah, cool. Turbo, any more quick questions of that? That's all I can think out think about for snapper. We've actually never had anyone uh, use fish for burley for snapper. Everyone over there talks about the kinner, so that's actually a new yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the peak of summer, you know, when the, when the water's warmed up a lot and there's a, when it gets a bit sharkier with it, um, you know, as we get more sharks when the water's warmer, um, then I tend not to use fish burley, but then in the yeah, when, when in the slightly cooler months, then yeah, it's my go-to for snapper, billion. Off, off, off Brisbane, where I've done a lot of spearfishing, Anthony. There's there's probably more than thirty species you can target, and um, I mean when you when you start to target one fish, I mean you have to be able to see the friggin' thing first, and then when you can ID it, then you can kind of watch how it behaves, and then sort of slowly learn how to hunt it. Is it kind of like that with snooping snapper as well? You have to be able to see them before you can learn to hunt them. Uh, it is a little bit, I think, um, and because snapper are spook really easily. So um, I know just a couple of weeks ago, actually, I went out on it. We had a, a Wednesday, which was a, just a mint day, five knot variable winds. So I got a couple of guys together and we took a day off work and went out spearfishing. And um, yeah, one of the one of the guys there said, "Hey, did you see that big snapper? You 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 spooked because he sort of <laughs> boosted past him." Now I saw what was the the a shadow of a tail disappearing into the distance that I couldn't really tell if it was a snapper or not, but it, it boosted past him like it had, like I'd really wound it up, and you know. So for me, all I saw was a tail. He saw the thing fly past him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, what, and what sort of what sort of visibility are you diving in that area where you are? Like yeah, yeah. yeah, often sort of five meter plus visibility, maybe ten. If we get a really good day, it might you know. Really good is sort of for me is fifteen plus meters of viz. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I, and did, the, the... I did a bit of diving up Coromandel as well. I lived in uh, Wongamata for a year. It's beautiful up there. You do get sort of that ten meter viz quite often, 
and uh, you do get you do get spoiled occasionally up there. The water's warm as well, so yeah, no. What were you going to ask, Turbo? Well, I was just going to say, do you, do you, I mean, do you do you benefit from the dirty water? Is that something you sort of look for when you're hunting for snapper? Is, is it a, is it a huge benefit or not really? Um, yeah. Well, it. I mean, a lot of guys that I dive with say that it can be sometimes because it means you can actually sneak up on them more easily. But um, yeah, it, it's then it comes down to the your ability to swim stealthily you know, yeah, so yeah. they don't hear you because they'll hear you well before you have any idea about them. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a balance. I know um, yeah, there's a couple of the sort of legendary Spiros in New Zealand that will say dirty water is easier for them. Okay. All right, cool. So you spend a bit of time in the water, Anthony, between all of your various pursuits. What's one of the toughest situations you've faced and what did you learn from it? Ah. Uh, yeah, well, I guess the potentially toughest situation um, mentally, um, which this taught me a lot, was um, actually not quite um, spearfishing related, but scuba diving. I've been out on, um, helped out with a search and recovery of a body uh, okay. after it had been in the water for a week. And Ooh. so, you know, going out knowing that you're actually got, we're going out to help the family, the official search had stopped. Um, okay. And yeah, we jumped in, and um, I found the body. We set up the we set up a grid search pattern, and everyone was ready for it. And we knew what we what we we're going to do if we found the guy. Um, and it was me that found him, and you know, sort of going through the process of dropping his weight belt, getting him back to the surface, and and yeah, dealing with that um, while you're while you're at about well, that was probably 20, 23 meters on on scuba. Mm. Yeah, that was a bit of a um, tricky exercise, but it really brought home to me the fact that. You don't want to put your family in that situation either, which has wound its way through all of my freediving and that sort of thing, and how I go about freediving now in particular. Was it was yeah. he a Spiro? No, that that was all scuba. That, yeah, that was all scuba. That wasn't a, wasn't a that was nothing to do with spearfishing or freediving or any sort of breath hold stuff. Yeah. Mm. But uh, yeah, it was an an issue in the water that we had to deal with. Yeah, well, the water's. I mean, it's it, it can it's got a risk factor whether you're doing scuba, freediving, whatever you're doing, and um, it would definitely influence the way you um, put systems in place to manage the risk. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who did you do that with, by the way? Was that like, uh, and 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 how did you get invited out to take part in in, in that activity? Uh well, that was um, was on a um, scuba diving club trip, and um, we. The the guy got separated from his buddy the week before on on the club trip, and um, the president of the club at the time said, "Hey, look, the family are are organising a, a separate search. Um, the the official search has been called off. Can some of you guys come and help?" So um, so yeah, got involved in helping that way. So it was through a club I was involved in at the time. Yeah. Okay. All right. A bit of a a bit of a a bit of a grim sort of um, thought, but um, reality nonetheless. Guys, the 2018 Blue Water Spearfishing Classic is on again up on the Coffs Coast. So uh, do yourself a favour, check them out at the Australian Blue Water Freediving Classic. Registration is at 16th of March at Wagulga RSL at 2pm. It's one of Australia's premier and foremost blue water hunting competitions and it's definitely worth a look. So check them out, Australian Blue Water Freediving Classic on Facebook. Guys, if you want to shoot more fish, we all know that it helps to hold your breath for longer. So check out howtofreediver.com. They offer a fantastic course called the 5-Minute Freediver, which is essentially a breath hold training program. It lasts for about four to five weeks, and uh, and at the end of it, you should be holding your breath for five minutes. 
fantastic resource, howtofreedive.com, the five-minute freediver. Use the code NoobSpiro at checkout and you'll save yourself some money. Next part of the show is Veterans Vault, and it's sort of where we, you know, go deep into a, an area of our our featured guest sort of expertise. So today we've organised to chat with you a little bit about the benefits of CO two training and some and some physiology. Uh, I wanted to talk about underwater rugby and underwater hockey because you've had a, a lot to do with it, and um, it sounds like over a long period of time. It says here you were president of the Auckland University team in the eighties, and then. Uh, president of the Auckland Underwater Hockey in the mid-90s, the first captain of the New Zealand Underwater Rugby team, and uh, you still have a lot to do with um, several things, and you were also the president of the Auckland Freediving Club as well. So you, you, Yeah, you've, formers, you've, form, lots of former roles. <laughs> you've been roped into lots of things over over time by the sounds of it. So, yeah, look, I'm not by choice. <laughs> <laughs> someone's got to do it, man, so, so hats off to you. So... Tell us a little bit about your experience with um, with all of it, I guess. So what what's um, what have you learned over the years with underwater hockey and freediving? And... Okay, well, I guess from the underwater hockey and underwater rugby thing, I think of the things that are transferable to spearfishing and freediving. What they what both of those give you from a hockey and rugby perspective is a great tolerance for CO two. Because, you know, you jump in and you play a game of underwater hockey that might be 20 minutes, half an hour long, and you're going hard out the whole game. Or if you jump in playing underwater rugby, we play in a sort of four or five meter deep dive pool. Mm. Um, you know, so you're up and down a lot and you're having to time your dives and you're having to figure out how long you can actually hang around on the bottom, but still be ready for the next dive pretty quickly. And so, you know, recovery intervals and surface intervals in between is really, re- really important too. And just the the time in the water and the time doing those things has given me, I think, a naturally high now now, now a naturally high um, base tolerance to CO2 that translates into um, the whole freediving and spearfishing side of things. Mm. Okay, I've heard some. Um, we 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 had a Sean Hartley on a long time ago from well not too long ago about a year ago from the Cairns Craze Underwater Hockey Club he talked a little bit about how it's better for you than altitude training and all the rest of it you can see these uh, people running around with masks on these days to try and um, change their their platelet count and all sorts of things like that um, what from a physiological point of view what do you, what do you know about some of what, what are the mechanisms that that improve the co2 tolerance um Part of it is mental and like knowing what's what's happening to your body and the and the um situ- the sensations you're going to feel as the CO2 builds up and knowing that ac- that is actually a it's natural you know, it's part of the process and it's ac- but it's not also at that point not life threatening. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So you can go through and think right mentally I can deal with this I can deal with the contractions or I you know it's just it's just you know accept them and get over it sort of thing. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, so big, the first part is mental for most people starting out. Um, and then also gradually I think your body gets used to um, running on less oxygen and like you see guys that are um, heavily into aerobic sports will struggle with breath hold sports from just it's less um, scientifically based, get, I guess, but, but more from personal observation, the guys that are... Um, that, that are in, into very aerobic sports will struggle initially with breath hold and then and it'll take a little while for their bodies to adjust to the to exercising when there is not much oxygen around or a limited supply, i.e. what's in your lungs. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and the whole hockey thing and rugby thing is is great for that because it forces you into a, into situations where you're thinking, shit, I've got to dive again. Time to go. Mm. <laughs> you know? So walk walk us through. I mean, I, I'm getting through loud and clear. You know, like you get these very short intervals where you can actually breathe um you're spending a lot of time on the bottom of the pool so um before the show we chatted a little bit about recovery breathing walk us through how you teach guys recovery breathing okay um well this is i guess more from the freediving side of things because you've got the chance to do recovery breathing whereas whereas with underwater hockey and underwater rugby it's rugby you might sort of come to the surface you still get your snorkel in your mouth you breathe out and breathe in and you try and physically slow down your breathing a little bit and take maybe two or three breaths before your next dive. Whereas that's contrasted to the what you do in a free diving and then in the spearfishing context where you might take, uh, you know, your recovery breathing is, is actually about keeping um, oxygen pressure in your lungs. So you might do a short, quickish, normal exhale and then inhale and hold it. Um, for for a few seconds and then repeat that process. So you may do a minimum of three three recovery breaths. Or um, like if you watch videos of say William Trubridge, um, you might hear his surface coach telling him to hook hook hook. So the freediving parlance that's often referred to as a hook breath. So it's mm. a, a quick inhale and you hold it, and it keeps the pressure in your lungs, keeps the oxygen pressure up, and then you can do yeah you know, mm. do, do it again. And yeah, we we will generally say minimum three times. Um, if not more, to to keep that that so to push the oxygen into your um, bloodstream or through your lungs faster. Do you do you do that regularly on a spearfishing uh, day? Would you do that after every dive or? Um, if I've done a deep dive or a long dive, then yes, yep. Um, and I, you know, I'll, another thing is I'll always um, spit my snorkel out before I dive, so that then you can do that. Whereas if you've got your snorkel in your mouth still, you can't do hook breaths. And also, if you've got the snorkel in your mouth, then the bubbles escaping from it will scare as you go down, will scare all the snapper away anyway. So, you know, hunting-wise, you're better off spitting your snorkel out. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember getting taught um, recovery breathing by Wayne Judge, and he always taught us to bear down on it. To, you know, so you, 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 you suck in the short, sort of sharp breath. You, you don't empty your lungs all the way out, and you just sort of fill back up that top portion, and you bear down on it. And then, that's sort of a sharp exhale, and then the same again. Is that kind of how you do it as well? Yeah, that's that's that is that. Yeah, that's a good explanation of it too. Actually, yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, guys, when they do freediving courses, get taught this as well. Is is this something that you learn? How how did you come across the technique? Did you do courses in the early days? Well, not so much in the early days. Like I joined the Auckland Freediving Club, and there there weren't really many people running courses around um, around New Zealand at the time. But okay. and then got into it, and I've since then I've done. Um, Aida two, three, and four star courses um, with some of the one of the best coaches in the world, actually uh, Jonathan Sunnix, from a freediving okay. perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I learned that that cemented all those sorts of um, behaviours or habits with me. Um, but also in terms of working with the free, Auckland Freediving Club, uh, we will take people through that as part of our normal depth training and um, and, and like Pupuki and also the pool training side of it. So yeah, we will. There's a, a lot of guys, very experienced guys in the, in the club, way more experienced than me, and we'll sit down and go, right, here's here's how we're running things, and this is what we're telling people to do so they get the benefits of the stuff without actually having to necessarily have gone through a full course. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. All right, one of the other bit of big benefits um, I've heard going back to underwater rugby and underwater hockey is the, the, 
and you sort of talked about it before, is the ability to have a community close at hand where you all have a lot of share, shared interests and, um, and and you've automatically got spearfishing buddies sort of close at hand and and, uh, and you train together as well, so you know each other quite well, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I've got spearfishing buddies through the freediving club, through underwater rugby, uh, through underwater hockey, uh, all of them. There's different guys that I go out spearfishing with, and there's a few overlaps that run through all of those. So, yeah, some of yeah. the some guys are doing like me have sort of been involved in in, in all of those. Mm. Yeah, and okay. it's it makes it easier to rustle up some um, good buddies that you know that are competent and uh, that you feel safe doing deeper dives around. Because mm. actually, okay. since since I've been doing the freediving club stuff, probably I think my average spearfishing depth has probably um, dropped a little. But when I do go deep, I'll do it with guys that I know and trust, and you know, then I'll go a bit deeper than previously. Yep, yep. Okay, cool. All right, one of the other things we were going to chat a little bit about was um, surface intervals, and uh, you, you've had some in- interesting experiences with it over the years. Um, run, run us through a bit, a bit, a bit about it. And- yeah, I guess, I guess firstly, uh, a rule of thumb that I'll talk to people about is um, spend twice as long on the surface as your previous dive was. So if you did a you know, 30-second dive, then spend at least a minute on the surface. If you've done a one-minute dive, then spend at least two minutes on the surface before your next dive. And two minutes is a long time, or it feels a long time. Um, and that was really brought home to me um, a couple of years ago when I was helping out as one of the safety divers for the New Zealand Freediving Depth Nationals in Lake Taupo. And as part of that, we had to um, have one of us act as the starter diver at the start of each day to make sure all the systems and processes were working from a safety and judging perspective and all that sort of carry on. So I volunteered myself as the starter for the for the second day. Okay. Nominated a 40-metre dive, um, you know, went down to the plate, grabbed a tag, came back, did the service protocol, all that sort of stuff felt fine. And as part of the um, normal practice at those events, you'd go, they have a medic there um, and go over and see the medic and the medic would measure your oxygen saturation. And um, yeah, I felt fine to dive again. The medic whacked, uh, whacked the thing on my finger, started measuring my O2 set and it was a little bit low. Yeah. And she was like, okay, hang around here a bit longer and stay until, you know, keep, keep checking me periodically and um, until it was okay. And I was thinking, well, actually, in a normal spearfishing day, I would I would have thought I'd be ready to dive again, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, this was a situation where I could have my oxygen saturation measured and monitored, and yeah, it really brought home to me that you did need to wait because mm-hmm. I could see for myself looking at the readings. I actually, yeah, I, you know, it wouldn't be safe for me to dive right away. Oh wow! Yeah. So, ha- ha- like you've you've given us a good rule of thumb, but most of us. I mean, we think we've been on the surface longer than we actually have been. Um, some some guys before have talked about dive watches. I know you were going to talk a little bit about dive watches as well. How how do you what 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 dive watches do you recommend, and how do you set them up? Um, well, I mean, I've got a um, Sunto D4i um, on my wrist at the moment, and I love it. It's that that one includes a whole lot of the scuba diving functions and things, which I don't use, um, but. Essentially, I, I set my watch up. Um, I I do have a have a depth alarm set at um, sort of you know 25 meters and, and things like that. So I know that if I'm going over, I, I I generally try and limit my dives to maybe sort of 15 to 20 meters. But I've got an alarm set at 25. So if I drift too deep, then it's actually hang on. Hey Tony, you're doing a deep dive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then the, the big thing for me is 
actually not using it so much to monitor my depth in reality, but more to monitor my surface interval and to make sure I don't dive before um, you know the the basic rule of thumb of one minute dive followed by two minute surface interval. Um, so I'll look at my watch and c come up to the surface, and it, it's set up so that it will um, automatically tell me what my surface interval's been. So I just have a quick gander at it. Like, okay, I feel ready to go, but it's only been a minute, so um, don't go yet. <laughs> mm -mm. Yeah, I mean, we've run an interesting system um, out when we're doing deeper dives, and we, we, we dive in three. And so one guy dives, two are on the surface, uh, one guy's prepping, he's breathing up, and then the next guy comes up and then, bang, he's going down. And I mean, that, that's, that's the way you can actually stick to it quite well. And it's, it's amazing how well rested you feel by the time two other blokes have had a full dive each. And, yeah, um, yeah. One, one down, two up is a great way of doing weed line diving. Uh, that's, that's my um, preferred option too. Yeah, you pick the right guys you're going out with and you know that everyone's going to stick to it. And also you make sure that the um, next guy to dive doesn't dive until the until the guy's surfaced and signaled he's okay. We actually know he's back to the surface, not just on his way back up, but is mm. physically back up and, and all okay. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, important yeah. too that the guys stick to that uh, stick to their turn and they don't um, snake you and dive out of turn when they see a fish. That's pretty yep. important, Anthony. You would yeah, know that, would you, Shrek? <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever snaked you for a fish, buddy. But we do have a couple of renowned people in our crew, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. well, I don't know. There's a, from my perspective, if someone does that and it's my boat, then maybe they won't come next time. <laughs> it's, a pro it's a problem when it's their boat, though. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. okay, so that's the price you pay for a day out. <laughs> oh, I, I was uh, one day. I was laying over top of this cod, and we I was. It was probably about yeah, about twelve meters or thirteen meters. And I had this cod. He was just sitting dead to rights. He's, he was not going anywhere. It's just it's just a stupid cod. I was looking forward to paddling down and shooting it, but I saw it on my way up from a dive. So I, I made sure I was doing a, a decent breather, and I was sitting there, and lo and behold, here comes my buddy on a 45-degree angle from about 20 metres away, just dive-bombing. He knew I had this fish dead to rights, and, and then he's gone down, put a crap shot in it, and it's torn out, and then I've gone down and shot it, and it's torn out, and <laughs> anyway, this... This poor cod has had a hell of a time. It's come out with three three shafts in it by the end of it, and we were still fighting over whose fish it was. <laughs> but yeah, you, you do you do have to choose your buddies. And just to yeah, uh, yeah. just for everyone listening, just to clarify, I wasn't the buddy. Shrek actually no. has another mate that will go diving with him. So it was it was actually that those two guys that day because usually I think it's me. That... Past tense, past tense. I had <laughs> I had another buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've had that when um, chasing crayfish. Actually, I swam into this crack and was coming in from the deep, the deep end of it, swimming up, and it was quite a, you know, pretty meaty crack. And there was a nest of crays in there, and they they started scooting away from me, heading towards the top. And a couple of my buddies were, were on the other other side of it, just catching the crays as they came out. Oh, that's good. That's uh, good. Yeah, that's, yeah. They um, they thanked me for that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you divvy them all up even at the end of the day, not like on uh, some of the boats we've been out on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Um, yeah, okay. All right, well, um, I didn't have anything else for Veterans Vault, but was there anything else you wanted to chat about, Anthony? Uh, no, I think that's that's probably it. I mean, a lot of the yeah, – yeah, you've talked about all sorts of other stuff on other shows, so, you know, it's um, – yeah, service intervals oh. are a key thing for me. 
I think I think Black Cat's another thing. Maybe you can chat a little bit about. Um, oh yep, yep. What's um what what are some of the? Have you seen some good Black Cats in your time, especially with freediving? I get. Yeah, yeah. I've seen seen a probably seen one decent blackout when somebody's in the pool swimming. Um, yeah. And, and a few sambas and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so like, and the, I guess if I think about the things that cross over to spear fishing. If you if you're buddying with your with your mate doing um, two up one down type stuff and and as you see them heading back to the, towards the surface, assuming the visibility is sufficient that you can actually see them. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you if you watch them and think right, their kicking's going a bit haywire or they're just not looking not looking like they normally do, then chances are they're on edge. Or you know, so particularly in those circumstances, I'd go down and meet them and swim up with them, looking in their eyes, trying to see see what they're what they um how focused they are and stuff you know so then mm. you're right on on the spot um because i've seen a couple of black if i think about one blackout i saw in the pool um there's an australian girl actually that came over for a competition a couple of a year and a half ago i was in the water as one of the safety divers following her along i knew what her personal best was and at a shortly after she'd passed through what her previous pb point of this distance in the pool was um mm. He started to see her kicking action go slightly, slightly off, and she'd do a, uh, gone from being reasonably smooth to slightly jerky. Um, and then she got a little bit further on and looked up, thinking about heading to the surface. Saw that the end of the pool was close, which would have would have been a 150 metre swim for her if she gets to the end of the pool. And then she put her head down, and decided to go to the end, and that was that was her last moment went before she blacked out effectively. So we had to pick mm. her up and you know, bring her up to the surface. But looking at that that incident, um, the signs were the kicking action went haywire. You know, in mm. hindsight, you look back and think, yeah, yeah, the visible signs you can see are things like kicking action, if or definitely if they expel lots of air and that sort of thing too. Yeah, right, Tony. How beneficial is it to see a samba or blackout in the pool? Yeah. Like, was, does it prepare you same. for when you're in the ocean? Yeah, it actually brought home to me how 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 um, you know, I've had some chats with some people who said, yeah, if I black out, I've got my weights on in such a way that I'll come to the surface and I'll be face up. It's like, no, that's bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. You'd be, if you have a blackout at, um, say, 8 or 10 metres, then chances are you won't be coming back to the surface. Mm. You know, so, you'd, yeah. Um, so, and ha- having seen it and seen what ha- what happens with people, it's really brought home to me the need to be safe. Mm. Yeah, I think I've seen two or three. I've seen two blackouts and probably another three or four sambas. And that was one awesome thing I thought was about pool training. And uh, guys were training for PBs, but it was in a controlled environment. And, you know, it was a max night. And I think it was kind of useful to see what actually happens. And uh, I saw another few in a comp. And it did. It does prepare you a little bit for what can actually happen. I think so. But guys can go online and have a look at some of the videos of blackouts. But it is useful to see it. Mm. And um, from my perspective, when like I'm actually right now in the middle of, um, well, next weekend we've got the um, New Zealand um, freediving pool national champs. Um, okay. So I'm not competing, but I've got involved in organising the safety diver crew. So we're okay. doing a bit of training for tra- training for that. So you know, going through the whole exercise, we're thinking, right, we're going to be swimming along, monitoring these guys, be right there. What do we need to do? How are we going to go about it? Yeah, that, mm. That's that's that also brings home to me the. Yeah, that and that's in a controlled environment that brings home to home to you what can happen out in the sea. Mm, cool. All right. Anything else you wanted to say in regards to blackout before we move on? 
Uh, I guess just as a closing comment, you know, people talk about you know, having doing pool training and pushing themselves to the point of samba and blackout and things like that. Um, don't do it regularly. Do it, you know, if, if you if you're pushing yourself to the point of having a samba or a blackout regularly in the pool, then you're actually pushing too hard. You need to learn to back off a little bit. Ever thought of yourself as a bit of a writer? Well, here's your chance to write something for Spearing Magazine. That's right. Head to spearingmagazine.com and submit your article now to be published in Spearing Magazine. Now, they're not just going to let you in. Trust me. We've had a fair crack at this and we're still not published. But if you're better than us, you'll get in Spearing Magazine. So get on over to spearingmagazine.com and submit your article. Yeah, Spearing Magazine runs on high-quality contributions from Spiros just like you. They've had stories from every corner of the globe. Get on spearingmagazine.com. Show sponsor penetratorfins.com have got an all-new series of carbon fiber blades available if you go and check out the pyro camo carbon blades and uh, these are an all-new series from Larry they've got improved graphics finish and flex curve and they've got the, the same 25 degree toe angle for efficient surface fitting a 72 centimeter working blade they're extremely lightweight at only 325 grams and they've got that same great wide water channeling um, that, that Larry's blades have. This just allows for a lot less fatigue, lower oxygen consumption, and uh, they just have you jetting through the water. Check them out at penetratorfins.com. You can use the code NoobSpero and save yourself 20 bucks if you do decide to purchase. All right, cool, let's move on. Uh, something a little bit lighter, the funniest moment, the funniest thing you've uh, experienced out spearfishing. Okay, uh, I've probably got a couple of things here, maybe that spring to mind. Um, you know, one is with um, you know, usually you've got guys that are thinking, oh, actually, I've got, got going going away for a, a weekend um, spearfishing or a day trip or whatever, and people are complaining about how how their suit's old and has got holes in it and that sort of thing. Uh, mm. There's one trip I did with the Axemen where um, Matt Crockett had just got a um, a stylized kingfish tattooed onto his upper arm. Now, he's okay. an Australian, but he and he was heading heading back to Aussie, so he wanted a memory of New Zealand. So he got a ting, kingfish tattooed on his upper arm, um, but he'd only just had it done. And normally, there's like actually, you, know, you can't put a wetsuit on over the top and things like that. So oh. there he was with a mate's old jacket and a uh, and some a, a knife and some scissors, cutting the shoulder and arm out. <laughs> so, and this is <laughs> so that he could still go spearfishing. Now that's dedication. <laughs> oh, that'd be cold. Typical Aussie. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And the, the other one might have been, well, um, went out on a fairly early morning um, mission where we had a limited time frame with, with a mate of mine, um, Rob Harrison, and he had a inflatable at the time, and we were he heading out to chase some kingfish, and um, the, we, as we were going out, it was relatively calm, not too bumpy, and but then um, a, a few bits of the kit started to move around in the inflatable, so... I was like, all right, okay, it's pretty calm. I can just reach down, rearrange stuff, make sure it, you know, make sure it doesn't bounce to the back of the boat too much and things. Next thing you know, um, Rob, Rob hits the gas and we power over a, over a bit of a swell that came through a gap. And um, yeah, next thing you know, I was upside down in the water, so passed over the side of the over the side of the boat, and he's in, in hysterics as he motors off into the distance before turning around to come back and pick me up. <laughs> this is just the start of the day. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Got to love mates like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. 
he's a good guy to dive with, actually, is Rob. That sounds good. <laughs> All right. Um, so you're diving up there in the north of New Zealand. What's in your dive bag? Yeah, what sort of suit are you wearing? Um, well, you heard me talk earlier about um, Mike from Ocean Hunter. Um, mm-hmm. He's like the Ocean Hunter boys, boys and girls have always pretty much looked after me. It's it's a cent- relatively central and clo- you know close to home sort of um, shop for me, and I've always had really great service. So most of my kit's actually from there. But okay. you know, I've got a I've got a, a three mil suit for the summer, a five mil suit as well um, for you know sort of shoulder seasons and a bit in the winter when I harden up. Um, <laughs> and I've, I've also got a, a pool suit for free dive training and things as well. What are you running an orca? Ah, uh, no, um, Aquasphere actually. Um, okay. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Orca do a pretty good free dive suit, but it's also pretty expensive. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, Turbo and I had a little bit to do with the Brisbane Club, and a lot of them wear the orca suit, but it's uh, it's an expensive bit of kit. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my fins wise, I've got some divers that I've had for probably six or seven years that scratched and stuff but they're still going strong so that's okay. yeah i think i need actually need to get some new foot pockets i think okay. but yeah you know, the, the blades the blades themselves are going strong what pockets do you like um ones that fit <laughs> i've yeah. got i've got quite um unusually well, i've got quite big feet um yeah. but they're not too wide so you know it's a matter of actually mucking around and finding the finding the right fins right right pockets that will that will fit my feet comfortably for a whole day in the water yeah, I've had some that um, borrowed from mates where they're like, oh, yeah, these will fit you, and they will, but after an hour or two in the water, starting to get cramped in my toes and things like that. So, that's a- I, like, I like the Mares pockets. I think they work well. Um, mm. they, they work quite well, especially if your feet aren't too wide. You can get them, some, some pockets suit a wide foot, some of them suit a real narrow foot. You do have to get them right, and uh, if they're too soft, they're a pain in the ass, and they don't sort of... Um, lose power transfer, from, you, know, you want... You want ones yeah. that are going to give you good power transfer when you kick. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of argument and debate about it, but you know when you've got the wrong pocket on, that's for sure. Even if it's just like half a size too big, it's you, you, you lose a lot in the slop and play in a bad foot pocket. Yeah. Mm. All right. What other equipment are you running? Uh, we already talked about the watch. It's just, uh, I've got a, a Sunto. Um, it's yep. D4i, but um, if I was buying one now, I'd probably look at the D4f, which is yep. uh, loses all of the um, scuba diving modes, which I don't use anyway, and it's cheaper, so... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, Sonto have a pretty good reputation, and yep. the, they they did historically have a few issues with the uh, strap, um, the watch strap actually um, wearing out after after about a year or two's use, and but for mine, I've replaced it with the silicon strap from the Sonto Nuovo, and that's, that's great. Okay. All right, nice. So you got the best of both worlds. All right, cool. What about guns? What what guns are you using? Um, I've got a Freedivers 110, which was the first gun that I that I purchased that day when I wandered in, not intending to buy anything, and walked out with a gun. Okay. And uh, um, Picasso 120 open muzzle double rubber. Okay. Picasso Century Pacific one, but you know, the they they're tools. They do the job. I sort of thought about spending a bit more money on roller guns and things like that, but you know, maybe later. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you keep your if you keep your rubbers fresh and you and you've got a good setup and it does the job for you, sometimes it's it pays just to stick with it until you do have some more money to play. Yeah, yeah. I'm also I have been known to be pretty hard on my gear, so you know, simple stuff is good. Simple, simple works for me. Yeah, cool, cool. All right, Turbo. Any more questions with equipment, mate? I think you've covered it all. All right, cool. Last part of the show, Tony, is Spiro Q and A. 
So this is a faster, a faster pace round of questions. So, what's the single best piece of advice you've ever been given for spearfishing? Um, join a club, find some mates to go spearfishing <laughs> with. All right, cool. Who has been the single most influential person in your spearfishing? Single most, yeah. Pro- I'd name a couple if you have to. Okay, um, Chris, who got me to buy my first gun, and then Rob, who. Um, yeah, been out a fair bit with over the years on and off um and actually i told him to join the freediving club before i did and yeah he got involved in it and then dragged me in a bit later okay if you had to start spearfishing all over again and uh, keep in mind we're in 2017 what would you do differently um i would have started when i was a teenager not when i was 40 <laughs> <laughs> all right cool and um during your sort of eight or nine years spearfishing what's the single biggest lesson you've learned um, relax, don't worry about the biggest fish, just relax and enjoy it. Yeah, all right, cool. So what's your um, last last question, what's your, what's your current challenges and, and how are you approaching them? Um, oh, the biggest challenge for me is time to get out there and do it. Um, so having a good group of mates that you can, that can fit in around, around you when you're available and vice versa is, is you know, that it's how to address it. And also um, having a, understanding family also (laughs) yeah yeah for sure for sure all right um look where can people find you online anthony um well yeah i've got i'm on on facebook so they can sort of ping me there if they want um and then there's always the auckland freediving club which has a facebook group and also a website um there's and i I mentioned the axman spearfishing club there's they've got a um a website as well where there's a few pictures of fish they've shot and that sort of thing okay cool those sorts of places i'll link them up in your show notes and uh cool all right that's that's about all for today anthony really really happy you made time to join us today really appreciate it so thanks for that yeah i enjoyed the chat awesome cool all right mate um well thank you we'll talk to you again all right thanks anthony You cracker interview today with Anthony Harfuk. I'm really interested in learning a little bit more about underwater hockey and underwater rugby, getting some of those different types of training in, especially for the guys that can't get out into the ocean. And uh, I mean, it's brilliant in terms of uh, fitness and just keeping your uh, keeping your technique honed and keeping you in the water and training. And you can meet a, bun- a bunch of great people while you're doing it. So I just wanted to thank Anthony again for joining us. Cracker interview. Now, again, we talked about the Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign that's coming. In seven days, we're going to have another chat about this and talk about some of the funding levels and the bonuses that you can get involved that you can get involved with. Uh, so next week, seven days time, an extra interview coming straight at you. It'll be a short and sweet one. And we've also got a roving reporter now. Uh, Michael Kermody has joined us from Tales from the Tinny, and he's got a sweet drop. Uh, so tune in then because this is a wicked story about hunting a snapper and uh, it's, it's something new uh, it's definitely a, a cool new feature that we want to include more of in the Noob Sparrow podcast so tune in in a week's time uh, also Adreno's Easter sale is coming up now this is a chance to double dip they've got huge savings on all type of equipment across the board wetsuits, guns, fins, you name it it's all got reduced prices significantly reduced prices and you can double dip use the code NoobSparrow to save $20 on every purchase over $200 you're not going to get double savings anywhere else so go to spearfishing.com.au guys thanks for listening today catch you in 7 days 
Thanks for listening all the way through to the end of today's show, guys. Another top guest. Now, uh, if you listen to the Noob Sparrow podcast, you might be aware of what we're trying to achieve, and that's to improve spearfishing for every person who's just starting out because we struggled a lot when we were starting. Now, one way you can help us to achieve our vision is by telling your mates about the show. Um, you can jump on their phones and just subscribe to the Noob Sparrow podcast. Show them where the podcast app is. It's amazing how few people even know what a bloody podcast is. And tell them all about the Noob Sparrow podcast. Tell them some of the tips and tricks you've learned from listening to our shows. And uh, just thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening, guys.